I would normally ask the interviewed guests what tracks they would like to listen to as part of the interview. Unfortunately, on this occasion, my guests were unable to select three tracks that uh, they would normally want to hear. So they said at the end, look, Mike, pick out some tracks, put them in the interview, and we'll be happy with what you pick. So we're going to start the interview off with the Whitlams, There's No One Home. Halfway through, we'll hear from Vicar and Linda, Hard Love, and at the end, a bit of Dan Sultan, Southern Sons. Enjoy the following interview. Over the last couple of weeks, I have discussed my interest in local villages and local food markets around Milton Keynes. And on a couple of occasions, I've been privileged to meet a couple who are, in my view, artisans in their field. And uh, we're not allowed to talk a, a lot about alcohol on community radio stations, but we're going to talk about the two wonderful people that I've met, their passion for what they do and uh, a range of other issues associated with their farm. I'm sitting in a lovely view of the countryside and looking out the window in Jenny and Chris's home, and I'm looking at the sheep, I'm looking at the lovely landscape, and I'm also looking at, looking at an area that looks like it's been well cared for, not manicured, but someone looks like someone takes a lot of care in the management of their land around this property, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. So we're going to play a track that I've selected on behalf of Jenny and Chris. There's no one to call from a country town. It's not a bad thing. Don't have anyone lovely to call It's not a bad thing I'm not doing the dirty Breaking a vow I'm not a tomcat doing the rounds If I were There'd be no one to complain There's no one's worrying at home Ringing to see if I'll answer the phone Happy if after the show I'm alone From a country town And say I got a tan oh, We played under the biggest pagoda This side of Japan But the mountains are hazy Miss from the sea Is it good luck for dolphins On the same wave as me Or honey child I miss you just the same There's no one worrying at home Ringing to see if I'll answer the phone the show I'm alone There's no one worried at home Ringing to see if I'll answer the phone Happy if after the show There's no 
Val I'm not a tomcat doing the rounds If I were, there'd be no one to complain There's no one worrying at home Ringing to see if I'll answer the phone Happy about through the show like to introduce Chris and Jenny, two local community members of Bucks, which I understand is Buckingham, or it may not be, I'll stand corrected, but we're in their home and it's the Fruity Farmers in Purse Lane, Stoke, Goldington, and I was told the abbreviation is Bucks, and I'm sure Jenny's going to tell me if I've uh, said the right thing or not. So yes, Bucks is the abbreviation. We're in the county of Buckinghamshire, so we're in the middle of England. And uh, Jenny, how long have you lived, or more importantly, how long has your family been living in this area? So my family have farmed here since uh, 1905. Uh, We're a mixed arable and livestock farm uh, here at Stoke Goldington. We've got some Christmas tree plantations on the farm as well. And uh, my husband and I married in uh, 99 after meeting at Young Farmers and we um, have, have uh, introduced the Christmas trees onto, onto the farm and the fruity farmer business after that. Well, I'm going to come back to the history of the farm. I'm not going to, I, I, it's, it's interesting that people have been on the farm since 1905 and I think there might be a bit of observations about how, how many generations that has been and what's sort of changed over that long period of time. 
But I'd now like to introduce uh, Chris. And Chris, have you had a, a farming background or have you come to farming over recent years? Yes, I, um, I've always um, had a farming background. My um, my family's fa- um, my father's family were always um, farmers, and um, I've always sort of had a passion for farming. Um, when I left school, um, I went to agricultural college, and I um, I became a, an agronomist twenty five years ago, which is somebody that looks after um, crops and advises farmers on what um, what chemicals and what fertilizers to use. So yes, I've always had a passion for farming and a background. Okay, going back to you, Jenny, you said the, the farm has been in your family's name since 1905. Now, can you tell me a little bit of a history about that? When, where do they come from and how many generations have been on the farm? And Three questions all in one. And what have there been the changes that, that have taken place over that period of time? So that would be uh, three generations. So originally, uh, my grandfather came down from farming in the West Midlands um first of all here it was a very much a livestock farm um lots of cattle and sheep um and then my parents uh developed more of the arable side of the business and drained the farm and changed a lot of the uh grassland to arable farming um and then we have since introduced the christmas tree side of the business now Chris, from a agronomist's perspective, what sort of things might have you or practices have you introduced at the farm to improve the productivity of the farm or just the environmental factors to make this a really lovely place for, for livestock to be on? Well, the environmental factors really, are, the Christmas trees are a great environmental benefit because you're creating a habitat for birds and, and other, you know, uh, small mammals that then feed the raptors and things like that. Um, the, um, the cropping we've, uh, we have introduced spring barley, um, spring malting barley, which, um, is used to uh, brew a particular brand of barley, uh, a particular brand of, um, of, of lager. Um, that's helped, um, the farm in terms of spreading the rotation and helps the, um, the yield of the other crops, especially the oilseed rape and helps to control a particular weed problem we have, uh, in this area called blackgrass. Okay. I know in, in Australia, there are a number of farmers now that, uh, main t- have put in place a regime where they're leaving paddocks to alone for maybe 12 to 18 months and letting it naturally rehabilitate and improve its its productivity levels. Is that the sort of practice that you're applying here? Occasionally we have had some fallow, um, which is a good way of uh, controlling black grass, and it does create a, 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 some element of habitat for wildlife. But the trouble is um, our soil's quite heavy here, and we get relatively high rainfall and, and actually leaving land fallow can damage the soil structure. So we would rather plant some sort of crop on it, even if it's grass for short term, uh, short term lay, uh, in order to, um, give the land a break, but also maintain soil structure. Okay. We're going to eventually talk about your passion with, which is a, a bottled passion, but I'm interested because a lot of people in Australia are keen to understand uh, diversity in farms and I think it's unusual to have a farm that uh, some of it is contracted out but some of it's for is some is any of there for livestock or what's what's this the, the business model for the farm itself 
Well, the the livestock, we just have a few sheep about, which, which really keep the grassland tidy, um, keep the grass fields tidy. Um, and we also make quite a lot of hay that then goes off the farm for horse, um, for people that have horses. We basically sell them some hay. So that's that's the grassland management on the farm. And then obviously we have the arable and the um, and the Christmas trees as well. We are hearing some lovely music in the background of this interview. I'm not sure what it is, but we're going to leave it into the interview because that adds a little dimension to this to the interview process, and I think I think it's fine. Um, looking outside, it's a lovely blue sky, and I can't see any Christmas trees. But Jenny, how important is it to run the Christmas trees, and how are you managing that to, uh, from an environmental perspective, to to make it sustainable? Yeah, the Christmas trees um, are an increasing part of the business for us. So we've got over 20,000 in the ground now. Um, we run on a pick your own basis for customers to visit the plantations and choose their own tree. And we replant in, uh, in, in batches each year. Um, so we're constantly planting, planting new areas of the plantations and, uh, keeping the, the process uh, moving through. Okay, now we, we might focus on actually it is gin we're talking about, and I think vodka might be might be corrected on that. But what started this whole passion off? Now, now people will be going around to local markets and they'll see your stall and they'll see a whole range of. If you weren't quite sure that it was alcoholic, you would think these are all fruit flavors because you have this wonderful range of fruit flavored to alcohol but what kicked that whole interest off in this different direction from farming into sort of a boutique artisan style uh product range now who would like to answer that yeah well what we um when we were selling the christmas trees um back in the early days we started to sell some slow gin and blackberry whiskey alongside the christmas trees uh which seemed to um go down well with the customers um but what was happening more and more is we'd get phone calls throughout the year saying would it be possible to buy some of your slow gin or or blackberry whiskey and um we suddenly thought well actually maybe if people want it or if customers would like it all year round then maybe we need to uh set it set it up as a separate enterprise a separate business which which is which is really how it all started, and um, it's just grown from there, really. Okay, and and you were saying this the, just before the interview that a lot of the products that are going into these uh, flavors are actually locally sourced. What are the range of um, flavors and products are you, you um, putting into these these products, as well as um, where are they sourced, Jenny? So uh, most of the fruits are grown on the farm, on the hedgerows on the farm or within our garden. So that's the whole ethos of the uh, products that we're, that we're making. Um, we, uh, so we make the products seasonally throughout the year. So um, the slows at the moment in the autumn are really prolific and the blackberries and apples and quince. And then we'll move through uh, into summer months, the raspberries and strawberries and gooseberries, uh, either for gin or vodka. So all of the fruit um, in its majority comes from the farm or our garden, with the exception of the oranges or lemons. Although maybe we should start growing them if the climate keeps getting hotter. Well, it is, it's getting hotter in Australia. Now, we used to be a cold climate or a cool climate region for white wines in, in, in Canberra. And a lot of that's now changing into 
tepid, not tepid, but temperate climate wines because of the change of our, our climate. I know that a lot of white grape growers are actually moving their vines down to Tasmania to ensure that they, they get a, a cool climate for their white wines to thrive in and to become that sort of cool, cool climate wine. So um, I looked around your property and I didn't see a distillery. So you've just you've chosen not to actually distill your spirits but to blend your spirits. Why? What was the reasoning behind that, uh, Chris? Well, it's really down to the economics It's um, uh, and time, really. It takes a lot of time and expense to set up a distillery. So we feel that we're better off um, sourcing the, you know, the box standard London gin and uh, infusing our flavours um, as we go, really. And it's the same with the vodka and the whiskey and, and the brandy. So uh, it's really down to the practicalities of it uh, uh, as, as much as the finances, really. I also understand that you make uh, an olive oil or an oil-based um, product is that where's that made so we make a cold press rapeseed oil and it's made grow uh, using the oilseed rape that we grow on the farm um, you can make a large volumes of rapeseed oil using only a small amount of actual oilseed rape um, it's nice to be able to make a product from something we grow here on the farm um, we crush it uh, here and it's cold press left to settle for about six weeks before bottling. Um, we sell the product locally in uh, shops, farmers markets and other events. And that probably explains why there's no olive trees around here because you're not making olive oil, which was my mistake because I actually haven't bought any of that before, but that it does explain a lot. But so therefore you're sourcing that product also from the land. So it's 100% sourced from your farm? It is absolutely. It's just great to be able to um, add value to what we produce. The trouble is with farming is a lot of the, a lot of what we produce is just a box standard commodity. So to be able to process it here, and you know get the retail price for it is uh, is it's good. It's good, and it's also it's enjoyable as well. It's good to see the product from literally the plough through to the plate. You know that's that means a lot to us really. Okay, we might just pause the interview now to have our next track, which I've selected back in Oz. 